Good evening and welcome to the show. Well, there's been another peaceful transition of power in an Australian state. Here is the New South Wales Premier-elect, Chris Minns, applauding the way the election campaign this month was conducted. I think it's undeniably the case that this election campaign, perhaps uniquely, was a model of respect and civility. And neither party took the low road, neither political party took the low blow. And I think it can be a model for the way democracy is done right across this country. Now, I can't say, I can't say that every election campaign in the future will be conducted the same way, but from now on, no one will be able to say that it can't be. And here is the vanquished outgoing Premier, Dominic Perrottet, conceding. Elections can get ugly, uh, but I believe this election truly uh, was a race to the top. A genuine battle of ideas, and that's when politics is at its best. This is, of course, a welcome departure from the acrimonious way politics is conducted these days, even between citizens. As we saw last week when British female rights campaigner Je Kelly J. Keane brought her Let Women Speak tour to Australia, it doesn't take much for previously polite debates over otherwise uncontroversial topics to get heated, heated and even violent. And there's been a development in this topic today which is even less impressive than the various thugs and lunatics who habitually engage it, which I'll get to later. But it would be naive to think that the lack of acrimony between Minns and Perite is a sign that civility is making a comeback. The reason Minns and Perite are so friendly is that they're essentially from the same party. Perite called the New South, uh, New South Wales election a contest of ideas. Oh, please. It was a conference of ideas where nobody dared to stray from the narrative that is now in place, not just from Perth to Brisbane, but also from Washington to Brussels, London and Brazil. There are three policies that will, as they do in all Australian states, mostly determine the future well-being and prosperity of New South Wales. Fiscal responsibility, without which citizens will be extortionately taxed to fund the government's ever-growing interest bill, driving smart people and businesses either interstate or overseas. Energy, which must be cheap and reliable, in other words, generated by coal, gas and or nuclear and education, which is the only way to ensure the next generation understands how lucky they are to live in such a free and prosperous place and work hard to keep it that way. On all of these three key issues, Liberal and Labor were on a unity ticket. Both parties offered to spend their way out of difficult times promised to destroy our cheap, reliable energy infrastructure in pursuit of insane net zero targets, and never once mentioned the disturbing level of anti-Australian, anti-industrial, pagan green indoctrination going on in our schools. Nor did either party mention the COVID lockdowns and vaccine mandates, 
which we now know from Australia's alarmingly high excess death, excess death statistics, killed more people than they saved. In a normal world, this would have been a gift for any opposition to gain electoral ground. But Minns knows his own party is up to its neck in COVID culpability. So he, like Perrottet, spent the campaign whistling Dixie while the excess deaths piled up, hoping voters didn't notice. And they mostly didn't, although they may well have in Wakehurst, the seat held by former health minister Brad Hazard. Hazard frequently vilified people who didn't agree with him that the COVID virus was frighteningly fatal and were skeptical about the experimental vaccines. On both counts, his detractors were both rational and justified. His, vilifi his vilification of them now looks authoritarian, to say the least. Hazard has occupied Wakehurst for 30 years, but it fell to an independent on the weekend, which surprised him. Obviously, some factors were beyond local control, he said. I honestly don't know what they are. Jeez, you don't think that locking people up and coercing them to take a vaccine that is now being attributed to deaths and serious heart conditions might have something to do with it? The Liberal Party is not only deaf to its own base, it's deaf to its own principles. Here are two of them from the party's own website. We believe in those most basic freedoms of parliamentary democracy, the freedom of thought, worship, speech and association. In a just and humane society in which the importance of the family and the role of law and justice is maintained. Today, after the party was trounced in New South Wales for abandoning those principles, the Victorian branch suspended a new MP, Moira Deeming, for holding those same principles dear. Deeming spoke at a rally in Melbourne a little over a week ago that was crashed by a dubious bunch of so-called Nazis in masks and black football shorts. For this, she has been suspended from the party for nine months. Her leader, John Pesuto, has accused Deeming of, quote, conducting activities in a manner likely to bring discredit on the parliament or the parliamentary party. Dear me, all she did was speak at a rally where she was upstaged by a bunch of clowns she didn't know. At the federal level, opposition leader Peter Dutton is refusing to express an opinion about the proposed voice to parliament, despite the proposal trashing liberal values. And if the Liberal Party isn't dead now, it will be soon, if it doesn't start standing for something. My next guest, John Ruddick, tried to reform the Liberal Party six years ago, making it more difficult for factional warlords to turn it into a machine for lobbyists. But sadly, he failed. So instead, he joined the Lib Dems and on the weekend, almost certainly secured a seat in the upper house. I'm very pleased to say he joins me now. John, welcome. G'day, Fred. Thanks very much for having us. And assuming the rest of the count goes well, congratulations too. Now, first, oh, let's... Well. All right, let, let's talk first about your frustration with the Liberal Party from a few years ago. You wanted to dramatically change the way 
candidates were selected by the party faithful. What happened? Okay, well, I wanted to change how candidates were selected. I also wanted to change how the leader, the parliamentary leader is selected. That was the really big reform. And this is what the other Westminster countries have done, Canada and the United Kingdom uh, in particular. Now, what we were saying is, is that uh, people, if you're a member of the party, you should get to vote for who your parliamentary leader is. Now, in Canada, they had a, um, the Conservative Party in Canada recently had a ballot for who their opposition leader is going to be. Fred, they have almost 700,000 members of the Canadian Conservative Party. Now, that, that membership sort of doubled because so many people got excited about the race. Now, in Australia, I reckon the Liberal Party would be lucky to have 20,000, 30,000 members uh, because there's nothing in it for them. Okay? Now, if they could have a vote on who should be the parliamentary leader, uh, they would have uh, a hell of a lot more members because that's an important thing. But the thing that we tried to achieve, and we did actually change the rules in the New South Wales uh, division, was to say that there should be a plebiscite to select candidates for the state and federal elections. Okay, so this a plebiscite means that everybody who's a member of the party in that area, say in North Sydney where I live, everyone who's a member of the Liberal Party in North Sydney would get to have a vote on who the Liberal Party's candidate is at the next election. Now, the party eventually, after a 10-year battle, Fred, after a 10-year battle, they eventually changed the rules to make sure that's the case. But then what happened was Scott Morrison and then Dominic Perrottet decided, oh, no, 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 we don't want too, democracy, too much democracy. And so they used the, they abused the party rules and they just appointed their mates. They didn't want the messy plebiscite. So that's what happened, okay? And the two of them were terrible, okay? So there was some plebiscite. The rules have been officially changed. Well, even better than a plebiscite is we should do what the Americans do. We should have a primary. So we ask everybody who's a Liberal Party supporter in uh, North Sydney or whatever seat, Come out and tell us who you think the best candidate is. Now, if we have, if they had that, then they'd have merit. But look, it's all behind me now, Fred. They projected yes. those. Uh, all right. Interested in all yes. Yeah, so well, I wanted that. to ask you about that just to establish the, the sort of lay of the land here and connect it to how they performed on the weekend. Can you attribute the the structural problems with the party to how badly they afford, they performed in in New South Wales on Saturday night? Oh, well, look, I guess to be fair, we have to say that, look, these things go through cycles. It was a 12-year government. So probably the biggest factor was the, you know, well, let's give the other guy a go. And as far as Labor leaders go, Chris Minns looks to be about as good as you could hope for, you know, being a right-winger like myself. Okay, he doesn't, see, he doesn't seem like he's Dan Andrews or Jacinta Ardern. He seems like he's a pretty competent type of a bloke. However, the organisational problems were absolutely shocking in the Liberal Party, and obviously they didn't help. Now, the worst thing that they do, all the, all the dysfunctional culture within the New South Wales Liberal Party is, it prevents talented people getting into Parliament. And so they just end up with these really boring little factional people who've never done anything interesting in their life. And they, lacked, they lack intellectual substance. So the Liberal Party has lost, just like they lost federally last year, they have lost with dishonour. And the dishonour is this. Sometimes you can fight for principles in an election and lose, and then I think you lose with honour if you fought for principles. And that's what happened in, they say, 1993 with the fight back package. The federal libs took the fight back package to the electorate. The electorate said, uh, no, we don't want that, very narrowly, but they did. Okay, well, yeah, they, they came out with a purist document. Good on them. Now, ScoMo and Dom Perrottet have now both lost by pretending to be the Labor Party, by giving in everything they can to the Labor Party and just being a smidgen to the right on a few little things, not nothing important. 
Okay, so so now we've, we've got the Governor Ron DeSantis over there in Florida who is showing these state leaders how to be a leader. And he, oh, gee, you know, he won 60% of the vote in Florida not long ago. Now, Don Perrette, who I actually know quite well, uh, I bet he's a huge admirer of Ron DeSantis, but for some reason he was an absolute coward when he was the leader. Well, there are, uh, there are still plenty of talented people in the party, I'd say, but I get the impression that their loyalty is greater to the party than it is to the country. What do you think? Oh, yeah. Well, look, the, the, the only way to get into Parliament these days through the Liberal Party is to sign up to one of these mafia-like factions and they have to back you. And then if you get in there, you have to give your loyalty to that mafia-like faction or they'll roll you and they'll remove your disendorsement next time. So, yes, yeah, so that, that is a big problem. I'll tell you another huge problem at the Liberal Party, which most people don't quite... Oops, sorry can't get their head around, and that is this. If you wanted to be a candidate for pre-selection in the Liberal Party, you first, the first step is, you have to get through what's called the NRC, the Nomination Review Committee. Now, that consists of, like, four people, the federal parliamentary or their federal parliamentary leader or their representative, the state director or their representative, the party president, and the local Liberal president, okay? So if it's in North Sydney, it'd be the leader of the Liberals in North Sydney. So this little committee of four, all factional sort of obsessive people, they first have to review your nomination to see whether you can go forward to a, a, a pre-selection or a plebiscite. And that has been, now that used to be 20 years ago, one in a hundred people would be knocked out because we found out We've got a criminal record, you know, or they said something completely unacceptable on the public record, you know, way off, way off, uh, you know, past the boundary. Okay, so one in a hundred people, and it wouldn't even be a big deal. Okay, but now what they're doing, Fred, is they have weaponized this NRC. And so they just knock people out all the time and say, no, you can't be a candidate, you can't be a candidate. Oh, you can, you're our friend, yeah, you, you come and be a candidate. Okay, and they, and they ask these people at the NRC, they ask them about 60 questions, okay? Have you ever been to a strip club in your life? Okay. Now, look, a lot of people have been to a strip club in their life, right? Okay. Mm. It's not the end of the world. Okay. We're not saying it's a good thing. Okay. But anyway, that you know, they ask them, have you ever had an affair? Have you ever smoked a joint? Have you ever had a company that uh, uh, had, uh, you know, gone into liquidation or anything? All these very intrusive questions. Okay. And they just, they don't really care about what the answers are. They just try to say, oh, we can knock this person out because of this. Or they might have lied. They might have slightly got something wrong, okay? Now, we had, just before the state election, we had this um, a fellow called Noel McCoy wanted to be the Liberal candidate in Castle Hill, and he had all the numbers sewn up. He was going to be the candidate. But the NRC knocked him out. Now, Noel McCoy is a partner at one of Australia's biggest law firms. He used to be the federal Young Liberal president and the New South Wales Young Liberal president. He's a super-duper clean skin. He's a seriously smart professional guy. And they knocked him out, okay, because he said something during all the COVID hysteria. He said something about, I don't think the vaccines are working very well, something like that. Pretty moderate, pretty moderate, okay. He wasn't like you and me, Fred, out there marching in the streets for freedom, okay. But he sort of said a few things. He criticised the government for the lockdowns. Well, why did they roll out a red carpet for Noel McCoy? No, 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 they had to kill him. Now, so the worst thing about the NRC is this, NRC. 
it deters good people from even thinking about nominating. The word gets around, oh, look, I don't think you can get through. You know, you had a company that went bankrupt 10 years ago. It doesn't matter you're now worth 10 million bucks through self-effort. But, you know, no. so the word just gets around that the only people that get through the NRC are people that are so bloody boring, Fred, that they've never done one bad thing in their life. They've just gone to Liberal Party meetings all their life. Well, let's talk about the Lib Dems then. How do you select your candidates? Democratic plebiscite. Thank you very much. Yes, we've uh, we had a vote. We had a vote. We, we, we actually had, had 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 to have two, uh, but we had a vote for. Uh, it, well, that was the first time it had been trialled in New South Wales, and so I was very happy to be endorsed by the membership. And uh, yeah, the other state divisions I think have been looking on with interest, and they think it's a very successful process. So yeah, looks like we won. So the, the members. Member's decision looks like it was justified. Oh, well done, yes. Well, the, one of the things that I love about your party is the Freedom Manifesto. It calls for, among other things, an end to COVID alarmism, expensive renewable energy, compulsory superannuation and centralised education. How are these ideas taken? How, how do these go down in the electorate while you were campaigning? Okay, so we pretty much had the entire corporate media absolutely ignored us. They could not stop talking about Mark Latham, okay? Now, Mark Latham got a few more votes than us, but not that many more. Okay, we had to get our message out through good old social media and talking to people like yourself and, you know, podcasting and YouTube people. But, you know, the corporate media, they didn't attack us. They didn't help us. They didn't take any interest in us. And we're still looking like we've got a pretty good result. So I think what's happened is the Freedom Manifesto has got around and through word of mouth, people have said, check these guys out. Okay, so uh, I mean, I, I joined the Liberal Democrats almost two years ago, and that was because I had come to the view that the Liberal Party is bankrupt, cannot be reformed because of three great sins. There was the COVID extremism, there was a sellout on net zero carbon, and there was the debt, the trillion dollar debt, thanks Libs. Okay, so then I thought, maybe we could forgive one of them, probably not, but <laughs> three out of three, three strikes and you're out. So I joined the Liberal Democrats. Now, it's a smaller party, but I can absolutely tell you the average Liberal Democrat is about 57 times more intellectual and smarter than the average Liberal Party member. Okay, It's a party full of brainy people Okay, and really good people. And the Liberal Democrats have got nothing, to, no perks to hand out, no staffing jobs, no um, lobbying contracts or anything, not much prestige gets true believers in there, okay? And, so and these, are, am, these are people we, uh, who've, who've lived outside politics as well. They bring real experience to the job. I mean, you, but you've looks like you've got yourself into the upper house. We won't confirm it tonight, but maybe later in the week. You had 13 lower house candidates who didn't get very close. Some of them almost made it into double figure percentage in the primary vote. What's your takeaway from this election? I know you're the, you know, you're... You're the little guy. You didn't have a, a huge amount of money. But what's your takeaway from it? How are you going to build off this? Oh, well, look, we're hoping to have a platform in the parliament. OK, we're hoping that we can sort of uh, we're hoping that the liberal that there's a, a one of the races for one of the, the last position is, is shaping up to be a contest between the seventh liberal and the animal justice candidate. Now, if that we want very much want the liberal to get elected, because if the animal justice person gets up, then it means that Labor slash Greens slash Animal Justice will have an upper house majority. If the Liberal gets up, they won't have an upper house majority. So we would then hopefully be able to use that opportunity to say, well, look, you know, we basically just support in reducing the size of the government. So in addition to the parliamentary sort of platform, we want to be able to use this opportunity to grow the movement, to grow the, I think when people find out about libertarianism, about 
the benefits of small government, people get persuaded by it quite quickly. I would say, Fred, that across the whole of New South Wales, 10% of people have heard of the Liberal Democrats. Now, a third of those people that have heard of us have voted for us. So all we've got to do is get that uh, name recognition up, which, you know, hopefully having a parliamentarian, if we do, that, that will help that. If we can get the name recognition up, and then I think so many people have lost all faith in the Liberal Party, I think we can really grow the Liberal Democrats. Well, speaking of your role in the Upper House, one of the aspects of, of our democracy at the moment that I find particularly galling is, is politicians on crossbenches who horse trade one piece of legislation off against another. Is that, will you be doing that, John? Okay, well, no. We're, we're, it's not that difficult on how to vote for legislation when you're a Liberal Democrat. We basically just ask ourselves, uh, will this bill increase the size of the government or decrease the size of the government? Okay, that's all it comes down to for us. Now, one thing that I feel very strongly about and that I do want to make a very high priority is uh, COVID justice and vaccine injuries. And I would like, I hope that we can set up a parliamentary inquiry into these two issues. Now, what do I mean by COVID justice? Well, you know, some people out there saying we just need to move on from COVID, okay? We've got to, you know, it's all behind us now. Let's forget about it. I'd say, well, we could do that if we did, if our governments didn't double our debt. The debt can't just be swept under the carpet. I'd be happy to move on if we didn't set a dreadful precedent uh, to uh, knowing that the state can now treat the people like farm animals, push them around, you know, and 80% will just say, go along with it. Okay, so yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're going to have COVID justice. And I want to look into these issues of the vaccine injuries. Okay, now I, I believe that the, the, the powers that be during the gave us all the COVID, you remember two years ago, Fred, they're rub, rub, shoving it down our throat. They're saying, oh, well, you know, it doesn't matter what the government does. If anything can save one life, one life from COVID, it's all worth it. Who cares about the death and everything else? Okay, so that, that's what they were all telling us two years ago. Well, now we've got a 15 to 20% increase in deaths overall deaths in all the countries that took the silly mRNA vaccine. And then what happens? Oh, they don't care about it. Yeah, we've got a big spike in deaths. Is it related to the vaccine? Good chance. Uh, it's, it's the number one culprit. It could also just be the lag from lockdowns. Either way, it's the government's, you know, government stupidity is causing this spike in deaths. And then, and so, so yes, yeah, so I would want to set up a pretty serious parliamentary inquiry and we'll try and get to the bottom of, you know, a lot of these unanswered COVID questions. Do you have any, I, I know it's a, it might be a bit premature, but do you have any theories about why and how this went down? How did the government suddenly become a, a sales outfit for Big Pharma? Uh, yeah, well, that's one thing that we want to look at, absolutely, because, you know, if the, if the, if the pandemic was so bad, if COVID was so bad, and if Pfizer and everybody had come up with such a fantastic vaccine, why do we need to get the government involved? Why couldn't the people just buy the product themselves? Okay, but they had to, you know, shove it down, lock us down, lock us down. Oh, you're not getting out of your home till 80% of vaccines. Oh, now it's 85%. Now it's 90%. Now, no, no, no one's getting out till 95% of you are vaccinated. You know, government's paying for it all. Oh, yeah, thanks, thanks, government. Okay, but where did the whole thing come from? Look, you'll remember, Fred, how much they hated President Trump, okay? They just hated his guts. Now, they used to hate George W. Bush. They used to hate Richard Nixon. They used to hate John Howard and Tony Abbott. But Trump, the left, hated Trump like nothing else, okay? And they hated him because he was so good. He brought world peace and he was a common sense guy and he was a, lot, he was a funny guy. And he was, uh, you know, wanted to protect America's southern border. All these things. They hated his guts. 
And so they were absolutely fanatical, rabid dogs to destroy Trump, Donald Trump in any way. And if you go back to early February 2020, the Democrats are having their primary. And who have they got? They got Bernie, they got Pocahontas, they got silly old Senile Joe, they got little Mayor Pete. Okay, all useless people. And the Democrats are thinking, and they just tried to impeach Trump for the second time, lost badly. Okay, so in early 2020, the betting markets are saying, February 2020, the betting markets are saying, Donald Trump is clearly the odds-on favourite to get re-elected. But no, 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 the psychopaths out there that had to bring him down through whatever reason, then I think just by chance, a bad flu comes along. No one's denying COVID was a bad flu, but it was that's all it was. It wasn't the Spanish flu, it wasn't a pandemic. It was just something that sort of happens roughly every two decades or something, a particularly bad winter's flu. And so then what did they do? They just... I don't think it was even that organised. It just spontaneously happened amongst all these really worked-up Trump haters. They just thought, look, let's make this flu 20 times worse than it is and let's blame it on Trump. And then the whole and the rest of the world's media just follows along with whatever the American media says. They all hated Trump as well. They all got whipped up into this hysteria. And so then COVID mania, COVID mania swept the world, swept the world. And basically everybody fell for it, Fred, except yeah, for a few little well, smug... Well, we marched alongside each other at the first big one in Sydney. I'll never forget that occasion. It was incredible. Um, but like I said earlier, it's this is a narrative that extends around the world and both of the major parties fell for it here. And uh, it was conspicuous that neither of them even mentioned it during this campaign. But I am very pleased that you are almost certainly going to be sitting in the upper house in New South Wales and agitating for an inquiry. John, thanks so much for your time. Good on you, Fred. Very good to catch up. That's uh, John Ruddick of the Lib Dems, who is odds on to get take a seat in the upper house of New South Wales in about a month or so. Well, that's all from me tonight. Thanks for watching. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can find me at at Fred Paul, that's F-R-E-D-P-A-W-L-E, or follow ADH on at A-D-H-T-V-A-U-S. And you can catch all the latest from ADH's rapidly expanding lineup, including Alexandra Marshall, Daisy Cousins, David Flint, Nick Cater, Lyle Shelton, and of course the great Alan Jones by going to adh.tv or downloading our app. Or find us wherever you get your podcasts. ADH is the new home for common sense commentary and there is no shortage of things to comment about these days. I'll see you again tomorrow at 7pm. Good night.